And so 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, reading verses 3 to 16. Let's hear the word of God. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. These things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, but refuse the younger widows, For they have begun to grow wanton against Christ. They desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. Do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's word alone stands forever. May he bless it to us. I want to say, just in passing, not to create a a measured debate, but this is one of those passages of Scripture that modern-day feminism and modern-day ideology and genderism really uh, wars against. They have this concept from these verses that women are to be nothing more than, uh, if I can use the colloquialism, uh, barefoot and pregnant in the homes doing whatever their husbands tell them to do. But if you read Proverbs 31, you will see that such is not the case. That the godly woman is one who is uh, engaged in industry and engaged in work and labors beyond the home, engaged in finances, and is caring and concerned about her role both as a wife and as a mother to minister to the glory of God in so many ways. And that's what this is about. How we look to our lives in ministry of godliness and and labor to the glory of God, not to the glory of self. And and that's that's more what Paul is battling against in those verses when he talks about the younger widows and some of the trials and troubles that are rising up within the church concerning them. That they are looking at life for self-glory and not for the progress of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that distinction does need to be made. But the greater focus of this text is upon widows. And I think it right to ask, 
Why are widows so important for the church to honor? And what is a widow? And how do we look at caring for them? And for all the gospel labors a church has, one thing to stress is that God in His Word has clearly set a mercy ministry toward widows above all other mercy ministries that we might have, excluding perhaps the fatherless or children. And why? Why is this so important? Well, understanding, as we could see from reading from Ruth, Boaz's first concern for Ruth was for her safety and protection. And that tells us why it's such an important ministry for the church. They, widows, whether they're young or old, they become targets of unscrupulous men. Men are the ones who are not counted, uh, shall we say, morally upright in their conduct toward widows. Now that's a general blanket statement. But the Lord Himself made it in particular when you consider Boaz's instruction. He was regarding Ruth's safety knowing His own countrymen and knowing the fields of His neighbors and saying, you stay in our field and we will care for you. And that suggests very much that He had a concern in His own day. Jesus said the same thing about unscrupulous men in His own time. In Matthew 23, when he was addressing the scribes and Pharisees, he said, you men are hypocrites. You have this pretense of religion. You go about wanting everyone to see you as great holy men with your long prayers, and yet you devour widows' houses. Matthew 23. And it's showing that even in the climate of Israel, in His own day, Jesus realized how unscrupulous men targeted widows to prosper their life and even would do so in the name of religion. It's a sad thing. And Paul acknowledges this in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, how these widows, young and old, were often targets for false teachers. And simply put, widows are often neglected by society and left vulnerable to the power of men. So that's one great reason why it's important for the church to honor and have such a mercy ministry towards widows. Secondly, with that, we need to understand from Scripture how God has set widows dear to His own compassionate mercies. Psalm 146, verse 9, God helps the fatherless and the widows. He defends them. Psalm 68, He administers justice for the fatherless and widow. Deuteronomy 18. And again, recognizing the injustices of the world that are carried on, those who are most unable to defend themselves against injustice often become the ones that God sets dear to His heart and His compassionate mercies. 
And if God has done so, is it not following through that the church takes up whatever is dear to the compassion and mercies of God? That is our responsibility. And you see the church jumping on in this focus in Acts 6. Ministry to the widows. Here in Ephesus, the same thing. The ministry to the widows. But the last, and and I submit this again, it's printed on the front of your bulletin to see it there. But honoring and exercising a mercy ministry towards widows is a testimony of true religion before the world. Pure and undefiled religion. It is to keep yourself unspotted from the world, yes. But it is also to look after the fatherless and the widow, to visit them in their trouble. That this shows a a religion and a faith being exercised in integrity and blamelessness before the world. And even our Lord took this up even from the cross. Have you ever wondered why John records, in John 19, verse 25 and onward, where John records that incident, where Jesus from the cross, agonizing in death, wearing and bearing upon Himself the punishment for all our sins, He takes that moment in time to look down at His mother who is at the foot of the cross and at His disciple and He says to Mary, Mary, behold, mother, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. That even there, Christ as the eldest son was regarding the integrity of honoring his mother who was now a widow and we'll get more into it a little bit but recognizing that she needed care and even in the height of his sufferings he tended to her needs the Christian religion is nothing before this world if we do not have an eye to this ministry of mercy in Jesus name So that's why it is important for the church to understand and why it's found here in this text concerning the life of the church, a household of faith. Now the context for these words is also important. Because as as Paul is writing this, a problem has risen up in Ephesus just as it did in Jerusalem. Widows from around the area found that the church in Ephesus, just as it was in Jerusalem, had a sincere focus on helping widows. They had an organized care of mercy for them. And so what happens when people find out, hey, there's a soup kitchen here. Hey, there's a ministry here that will give you and provide for some of your needs. What happens as word spreads? Everyone comes. And everybody wants help. Now, it's not that we uh, don't want to help everyone, but you can imagine, by Paul's words, this has become overwhelming for the church. That, That the demands are more than the church can meet. And that's why he's giving instructions here. You can't necessarily help everyone. That's why three times, verse 3, verse 5, and as well in verse 16, he says, relieve those who are really widows. 
and and not saying that a, a person who who is without a husband isn't a widow, but the sense of who are those who truly need your help. Recognize them and and put them in the forefront. And one of the greater challenges as we're going along in this is understanding the gospel application and ministry focus. That when we're talking about serving and honoring widows, it is always in the context of serving the gospel. We, we can never divorce Christ from these things. And I trust as we enter this text briefly that we will understand the place that the gospel has in this. The first thing I want us to see in verses 3 to 8 is this matter of honoring those who are really widows. And that comes out right away. Verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. That word honor, when we hear it, we know it is part of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long uh, for you in the land in which you are inheriting. That God attaches to that honor uh, a promise. A promise of life. And we might add to that measured well-being so long as it serves His glory. And what does it mean to honor? It means to recognize their worth and pay the respect and tribute they are due. And, and we, we see that, that word honor used in respect of government. In Romans 13, honor your governments, honor the king. And, and under that umbrella of honor, it is paying them respect and tribute. In other words, there's, it's more, more, whether you realize it or not, it's more of a financial word. That to honor someone is to give them their worth. And to recognize and pay their worth. And and when we consider this issue of honoring widows, it has both a material and spiritual implication. They have needs. They have real needs that need to be met. Which means it's going to be costly in in that sense. But they also have spiritual needs. And that too becomes costly in fellowship, in prayer, in the exercise of grace toward them in their situation. Now, honor those who are really widows. And the first thing to understand in in these verses is how Paul wants us to set forth those who truly need our help. And there there are three things that he sets here for us in respect of honoring real widows. And the first is to recognize that they are left alone. Verse 5. She who is really a widow and left alone. That's what it means to be a widow. One who is left alone, not just due to the death of her husband. Though that's the most common way we look at it. But in their time, it also meant those who had been divorced or abandoned. Single moms. 
Usually those two things go hand in hand. You know, I I looked online and found this uh, really disturbing statistic. It, it's one that has increased over the years. But the latest statistic that I could find was from 2014. Where in Canada, there were almost 700,000 lone parent families with children under 15. That's... An, you know, that's not just saying lone parent families with children over 16. This is children under 16. Over 700, uh, almost 700,000. And 81% were single women trying to raise a family. What's that say about men? Uh, really, you know, it, it, if the, the feminist has an argument, not that women aren't equal to men, but if they have an argument is that men generally have abandoned a whole lot of responsibility in life. And that is something that we need to guard against in the church. So, this is the thing. Look at those who are left alone and understand the trials that they have being alone and yet striving to live. (laughs) It is hard. It becomes complicated for them in many ways. Not much has changed even from the time of Moses when God said, administer justice for the fatherless and widow because if you don't, I will. (laughs) Deuteronomy 10. Well, 3,500 years later. Has much changed? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) And there is a family responsibility that also needs to be addressed, which Paul does in verse 4 and 18 and in verse 16. When he says that, that in your homes, especially as Christians, regardless if your parents are believers or not, You have a duty, as he says there in verse 7, command these things that God's people may be blameless. Honor your father and your mother. (laughs) That, That honor is what is working in us, a godly principle of recognizing worth and paying the respect that is due. And having to command this, again, suggests That even in Christian households in Ephesus, this family responsibility, uh, as he says there, of showing piety at home and repaying your parents was being neglected. And it was causing a burden on the church. Haven't you ever heard of some people saying, "Well, well, I'm not giving to the soup kitchen because I give my money to the church and they'll send it off to the soup kitchen or wherever they want to direct their funds. As though handing our duty to be merciful and caring in in that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is no longer our responsibility, but has been handed off to someone else. We need to watch out for this. The Lord says here in His Word, this is a piety. That is, this is a God... A godly conduct that is good and acceptable before God. Take it up and show to the world that God 
is alive in your life and that you have a regard for those who are in need, especially within your own household. It is both faithful obedience to the fifth commandment, but it is also, as Deuteronomy 10 says, this is a working of the fear of the Lord in your life, where you recognize that you are but a mere sinner before God who has received from Him an immeasurable mercy that you haven't deserved. And how does that gospel begin to show itself in your life? It shows itself in your life when you in looking even at your parents, at your mother especially, who's a widow, and saying, I want to help her in her need because, oh, hasn't the Lord been merciful to me in my need? You see, that's, that's piety at work. And he goes on in verse 8 to really lay it down hard. You know, I often get asked as a, as a pastor, do you think so-and-so is a Christian because they do this? You know, I've never been asked. I, I was re- thinking on this this past week with respect to verse 8. I have never been asked. Never. Do you think so-and-so is a Christian because they have abandoned helping their mother? And that's what he says in verse 8. That, that to abandon this very place of mercy that is on your doorstep, especially to not provide for those of your own household, shows that you've denied the faith. faith. You're worse than an unbeliever. Isn't that, isn't that strong language? And that is something I believe as, as Christians we need, need to lay hold of in our life. That this is a reality of responsibility that I have even if my parents aren't Christians. Oh, may God grant us such grace. That, that mercy toward us, undeserving as we are, is reflected in a very real and visible way immediately before us. This is confessing the faith. That's how strong these words are. Is your religion real? It begins here, my friends. But it also, in honoring a real widow, it's not just a family responsibility, it's a church responsibility. And I look at these same verses to verse 5 and verse 8 for this to come out. That that she who is really a, a widow and left alone, what does it say? She trusts in God. She is looking to God to provide for her for the rest of her life. And and as she's looking to God, who do you think God is going to use to be a blessing to such a person? It's the church. That when, when God talks about blessing another person's life, He often is stirring in the hearts of His own people to go out beyond measure like Boaz did with Ruth. Stay here. And then he goes to his own harvesters and he says to the men, he says, don't you dare rebuke her if she begins to harvest from the sheaves. Don't you rebuke her when she begins to take even more of what's there because she's a widow and she's looking after a widow. And that widow is my own cousin. And you see that, the, and, and the way it's worded in in 
Ruth 2. It's worded in a way where, where Boaz's faith is on display. You see the references there to the Lord, the Lord, and the blessing that He has received. Because if we do not provide for those of our own household, what are we as a church? It's already been said in chapter 3, verse 15. We are the house of God. We are a household of faith. And we cannot deny our faith by not serving our widows. We have three of them in the context of these words in our midst. Think about it again. The church's responsibility. And often for our widows, it becomes as much a spiritual responsibility as it does material. Why did Jesus give Mary to John? To be cared for. Why? Jesus had other brothers. Two of them became believers. And two of them wrote letters that found their place within Holy Scripture. James and Jude. Two of them, at first they weren't believers. But they did become believers. Do you not think that James the Just would have had a high regard for the care and ministry of mercy to his own mother. Even in his unbelieving sphere, he would have done this because as a Jew, he was faithful to the law in in that measure. And he would have known his responsibility even as his eldest brother died on the cross. Why did Jesus give Mary to John for care? Because... He was saying, where John as an apostle represented the church, that the church has a real ministry to widows and a particular spiritual ministry. And at that time, Jesus' brothers weren't believers. And so to the church... It was given the responsibility to John. It was given the responsibility to look after her spiritual needs as much as her material needs where possible. She trusts in God. Don't let the church disappoint those who trust in God. That is a measured responsibility and response that we have. And, and you see in here what strength widows lend to the church. In verse 5, she trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And as she's praying for her needs to be met, do you not think she will pray for the blessing of God upon those who help? And isn't that what God promises? But a widow depends on the church. Again, where did Ruth find help? Where did the widow seek refuge? Acts 6. And we as a household of faith. Verse 8 applies to us. Let us be Christ to them. Let us look to them. And their place within God's kingdom. And honor them. And, and with that, how do we minister to them? 
Well, Paul doesn't exactly say how to minister to them, but how to acknowledge those who need to be ministered to. And he, in verses 9 to 16, talks about a ministry to godly widows. And in these verses, we we don't have a lot of time to go over this in detail, but I want you to see the contrast that he lays out for us as to who we minister to, how we acknowledge those who are both really widows, but especially those who are godly widows, which then gives us a wisdom in how to minister to them. Because there's a noted contrast in verses 9 to 16 of those who are godly and those who are ungodly widows. Then what sets them apart? Well, the first thing he relates to us in verses 9 and verse 14 is sonority or maturity, if you will. When he says, don't let a widow be taken into the number. Do not set up a role and say, just because someone has lost a husband or is divorced or is now left alone, that they're necessarily a widow who needs to be provided for. They may not need the material. They will need the spiritual provisions. But take them into your number for both if they're at least 60 years of age. Why 60? Well, 60-year-old women, their potential to remarry is greatly diminished. Their potential, as he says there, uh, to have another child is also uh, past. She will like, and and in, in light of that, it's not to be humorous, but it's in light of that, it's saying she will likely be alone for the rest of her life. So look after her. As well, 60 was deemed the age back then when a man or a woman was considered an elder. You know, elders in the church, we put 30-year-olds in, in place of that. But, but there was more of a sense back then that an elder was really an older man. And the same with women. They had a maturity that could be seen in their life. They had a wisdom that was exercised in their life. In contrast to the younger widows who need to marry, bear children, manage a home, give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully. Verse 14, here's the contrast. Younger women have yet to prove themselves in maturity of life. What are their needs? So sonority was part of it. Part of it also is fidelity. And you see that in verse 9 down to... uh, Verse 9 and verse 11. The contrast again. That they're, they're the wife of one man. Versus the ungodly widow who has grown wanton against Christ and desiring to marry. And there's not a contradiction here. You have to understand what Paul is saying. As a younger women, and, and I've experienced this in my ministry to younger women, this, this difficulty that they have in getting along in life and wanting companionship. And, and we're talking about women in the church here. And them looking for companionship, but looking outside the church for it. 
and, and finding a relationship which the elders cannot, cannot necessarily approve of. And, and how in, in my ministry even to unbelieving single moms, how often we see them moving from one relationship to another, to another, and every time they do, it's a bad relationship that lasts maybe a year. And then they're with someone else. And here's the contrast. This mature widow has respected that unequally yoked relationships just are not spiritually good and are indeed forbidden. And that and that my life is not being entangled in those ways like the woman at the well whom Jesus looked at and said, you've already had five husbands and the one you're worth isn't a husband. You're just living with him. That's the contrast that's being made here. That dealing with them materially, you have to understand those who are sincere in the faith and dealing with single moms, single widows is challenging. But look to those who are striving for purity and holiness in their life and faith and help those who aren't. (laughs) That's hard. That is challenging. And the last ministry to godly widows, their sonority, their fidelity, their charity. Again, look at the contrast between verse 10 and, and verse 13. That this one is reported for good works. She's brought up children, lodged strangers, washed feet, relieved the afflicted, following diligently every good work. But the young one, wandering about, idle, house to house, gossiping, busybody. What are their works? The sinful conduct versus the holy conduct. And and to understand this godly character that Paul is emphasizing here is not a character that began at the age of 60. It's one that matured and was nurtured in her life from early years. It's one where the heart of the gospel is alive and she is serving the glory of God in her life. And you see it. Well, that one is one. Take into the number. Minister to them as much as you're able. The other desperately needs the reality of the gospel to be there in her life. And let us, as we look on these things, let us regard with tender mercy, Christ-like compassion, those who need the gospel and those who need help. Let us exercise the heart of our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior to those who are in need for His sake. This is God's holy word. May we hear it and may we be doers of it for His glory. Let us pray.